Mike Seibert Radio is an independent podcast. The opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests only and does not reflect those of any broadcasters that any of us either have been, am now, or will be affiliated with. Yeah, I know it gets really confusing sometimes because, you know, I used to do a college radio show and now I work at a commercial radio station and this is neither of those things. Apologies for the confusion. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I am at Mike Seibert Radio on Twitter and Instagram. And you can always write into the mailbag, MikeSeibertRadio at gmail.com. This is the podcast radio show where I talk about stuff and things that are on my mind every week. And um, I, I hope you all had a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Uh, we um, uh, we actually up here in the Seattle area, we had a white Christmas uh, for uh, uh, the first white Christmas in nine years, actually. In fact, and I, I didn't find this out until uh, afterwards, uh, but uh, for the first time in over 120 years of keeping records, uh, Seattle had at least one inch of snow on on both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. It started falling kind of uh, um, uh, the afternoon of Christmas Eve. I remember uh, I was at my in-laws. Uh, you know, the the fire's going, the roast is in the oven. It has kind of like, you know, that that warm, cozy, comfy, Christmassy feeling. And yeah, just watching the snow come down was, uh, was pretty rad. And it didn't stop until um, uh, midday Christmas morning. Uh, so that was... Uh, that was really cool. Um, my uh, my wife and I we have uh, um, a lot of fragmented families. So like you know, there's you know uh, uh, step people, and actually more than that, we have um, you know nieces and nephews and other relations that have gone on to you know kind of start their own families and so yeah so it's a uh, um our our holidays are kind of fragmented in that you know we we're kind of nomadic as we kind of go around uh but um, we had we had some fun driving around in the snow in uh, my wife's new Jeep. Uh, got to got to test out some of that four wheel drive, so that's uh, that's always fun. Uh, but on our way home on Christmas Day, we had the opportunity to stop and visit my dad, and. Um, that's always a fun time. Um, you know, incidentally, if uh, if you ever want to feel old, just hang around with your parents for a while, because what will happen is that you will see aspects of your own personality kind of reflected back at you in ways that you didn't quite see before and maybe weren't exactly looking for. But anyway, uh, uh, with my dad... Um, uh, apparently, Santa thought it would be a good idea to bring my dad a PlayStation Four, and it uh, it cracked me up because when uh, um, shortly after we got there and got settled down, and you know he uh, um, offered us uh, um, uh, delicious Pepsi drinks. Um, 
That's a different story for a different time. My my dad has uh, uh, two go-to beverages, orange Gatorade and Pepsi. And so, yeah, it's kind of kind of one of my uh, favorite things whenever I um, uh, go to his place to have a Pepsi. It's the only time I drink Pepsi. I I actually don't like Pepsi all that much, but it's you know kind of like a special occasion type thing. Anyway, I, I'm I'm getting all over the road, but. Um, First thing my dad asked me was, uh, do you have a PlayStation? And I told him, I'm like, well, I have a PlayStation 2, <laughs> which doesn't really help. Uh, come to find out what, what the problem was, he couldn't figure out how to turn off his PlayStation 4. So he was he was asking me for, for help with that. And it was hilarious because, like, um, I... I go to his entertainment center. He's got it underneath um, uh, the TV in a glass cabinet. I open up the glass, and suddenly I'm hit with like this wave of heat. Like he's got like a hot plate under there or something. Uh, I don't know how long the PlayStation had been running for, but it was uh, it was still going and pumping out a whole lot of heat. But not really being up on contemporary games like you've heard me talk about uh, this on uh, uh, previous shows um but yeah I, I I couldn't figure it out I mean like there's no buttons on the front I just I I was at a loss and apparently so what had happened was um, my dad got a good deal on it and uh, it didn't come with an instruction book so um we're trying to mess around with the controller um. And long story short, I eventually got it turned off, figured out what uh, what I needed to do there. Um, but it just it, it cracked me up because like after that, we were we were kind of talking. He was he was telling me about some of the games he got. And and one of them was uh, one of the Assassin's Creed games uh, um, where uh, apparently you're a, a pirate assassin. And I, I have no idea if that means that you assassinate pirates or you yourself are are a pirate that is also a, an assassin. Who could know? Uh, but anyway, it just it, it, it was funny because he kept telling me he's like, "Well, every time I want to play a game, it has to uh, update and upload, and uh, and all that. Why can't I just put in the disc and and play it?" And I I didn't realize this because you know, like again, like I've shared with you before, my uh, my wife and I we uh, we own a Wii U, um, and it's basically just so we can play Mario Kart and it's actually kind of funny because uh, more recently we've been playing more Mario Kart Wii uh, because it's um, it's actually a little less complicated than Mario Kart 8 so um, if, if that gives you a perspective of uh, my my gaming prowess that um, uh, that should that should uh, um uh, speak for that, um, but apparently updates are totally a thing. Now I remember, like when I was a kid, you know, you would get um, you would get a Nintendo for your uh, birthday or Christmas or whatever, and you hook it up, you throw in your games, and you're you're uh, good to go to start uh, playing. Um, but apparently that is not the case with uh, contemporary game systems. Uh, like you have to uh, download uh, uh, patches and software updates and all kinds of stuff. So, so I was tweeting about this after after I got home, and. Um, 
And and a couple of my friends got back to me, including uh, Eric Mannix from the Out of the Fridge podcast, uh, uh, saying, I love the huge update downloads every time I buy a new PlayStation game. Said no one ever. Um, and uh, uh, Killing Spree uh, writes, dude, uh, having to wait for Doom 4 to install on my PS4 sucked. Sometimes I look at my PS4 and ask myself, why didn't I just build a gaming PC? Um, uh, apparently, and, and I, I love how he put this, uh, console manufacturers can replicate the worst aspects of PC gaming, but never the best. And my, uh, uh, my old buddy, Dan Salopec, uh, uh, weighed in on that, um, uh, tweeting that, uh, consoles have become more and more like the PC gaming space for a few years now, uh, with a system and game upgrades aplenty. Uh, some day one patches are over 20 gig and that's 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 crazy um but um but he did leave me with uh some advice that i'd like to uh pass along to you and um uh uh, by extension my dad um uh so dan says uh have your pops put the system on standby mode and downloads tend to speed up significantly so it sounds like i'll need to call up my dad and uh, see if we can figure out how to turn the damn thing back on and then put it into uh that uh that standby mode um because i one of the things i do remember when i finally figured out how to turn it off was there was an option that said like not Unlike a PC, you know, it's like update and restart, install updates, or just power off. I just went with power off, you know, thinking that it's a, well, it's a game console and that, you know, um, I mean, because I mean, like, you know, I joke about like, you know, uh, being a a Wii user and, you know, I mean, there's there's occasional uh, software upgrades that come through, but nothing that takes like all day long. I mean, you know, not to tangent too terribly much, but uh, one of the things that I was seeing is like uh, people that were buying like uh, um, uh, PS4s and the new X-Bone, all that, like um, the the sharper parents were the ones that would actually uh, set up the game system like the day before, get all the day one patches and make sure that software was current before um, uh, giving it to the uh, the kids on Christmas morning. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, maybe, uh, keeping your consoles updated, uh, uh, maybe you could add that to your new year's resolutions and that might not be, uh, uh, such a bad idea. And, uh, but I don't know about you, but I don't really have any specific New Year's resolutions myself. Uh, but I did come across a tweet from Kevin Smith that I'd like to share with you. Um, now, obviously, a lot of us out here in podcasting land draw a lot of inspiration from Kevin Smith. But I've uh, I- I've always appreciated uh, one of the things I like the most about him is how just um, earnestly optimistic he is and just the the almost uh, uh, child childlike worldview he has it's uh um, it's very endearing uh but anyway he tweets uh happy new year uh may this be your stellar year the one you look back on decades from now and say 2018 was the year i finally blank 
Now just simply fill in the blank with anything that makes you feel good, yet doesn't somehow make anyone else feel bad in the process. And I I really like that. And I um, honestly, I, I think that's a great way to kick off the new year. And it's definitely in keeping with um, kind of Kevin Smith's philosophy that I've latched on to, you know, just the, you know, find the thing that you love that speaks to you that you're passionate about and then do that thing. Um, um, it's I mean, it's a philosophy that's, you know, put me talking to you here now. So um, but anyway, yeah, kick off your new year with that. Uh, 2018 was the year I finally blank. Um, so with that, um, I got a fun show for you this week, including my uh, 2017 top nine Instagram posts um, and a, a quick rundown of my favorite and some of my least favorite uh, movies of the year. And speaking of movies, uh, Stan Lee turned 95 last week, and I thought it would be fun to talk about those Marvel movie cameos that um, he's become so famous for in the last several years. All of that and more on this all-new episode of Mike Seibert Radio. But first, let's kick off 2018 with some shout-outs. Huge shout out to S. Anthony Thomas and the Bastard Army uh, celebrating 300 episodes of the S. Anthony Says podcast this week. Um, Congratulations on hitting that milestone. That's tight. Um, I also want to shout out a dope new show on NWCZ Radio hosted uh, by my old KGRG homies and friends, Trevbot and Caroline. Uh, it's a show called Night Waves. Uh, they play indie, shoegaze, R&B, hip-hop, and much more only on NWCZradio.com. Uh, listen every Tuesday night from 11 to midnight Pacific time um, and you can follow them on Twitter at Nightwaves NWCZ, and that's um, uh, that's for the Northwest Connection Zone. Um, it's a, a local online radio station uh, operating out of the uh, uh, Tacoma area, and that's where uh, Trevbot has found his home after uh, after KGRG. Um, it's uh, where he took uh, Dead Air Hardcore Radio um, uh, late last year, uh, back in uh, September. Um, where he runs that is X Trevbot X. Um, so I, I I'm really excited that he's uh, that he's found a home there and he seems to be doing pretty well. Uh, but anyway, back to uh, Nightwaves. I, I I checked out their uh, the podcast of their first episode and they and I really dug it. Um, uh, check it out. And I um you know I, I remember having a conversation with uh, Trevbot. Uh, oh I don't know maybe uh, uh, just over two years ago. Um, I remember him saying that he had always wanted to do um, an indie rock show uh, with Caroline, who uh, at the time was a host on uh, KGRG's post-rock show, uh, which uh, which I was uh, a part of um, uh, for a time there. Um, so, so I think it's really cool that a couple years later that they were able to kind of uh, reconnect and then launch this uh, uh, new show, uh, Nightwaves. Check it out. It's really cool. Um, 
and finally, um, I'd like to thank and shout out my guest from last week's show, Killing Spree, at Late Night Death on Twitter, uh, where we talked about Star Wars The Last Jedi, uh, where uh, we recorded that from the KGRG studio. We, um, <laughs> It's kind of funny, a quick uh, peek behind the curtain here. Um, originally, we were going to record uh, two separate episodes, but we got uh, so in-depth on our uh, conversation about uh, Star Wars, and it was, uh, and and you want to talk about Radio Salt, um, I, um, you know, I, I talk about this on Twitter a bit, but I I still haven't shaken the existential crisis that, that watching Star Wars The Last Jedi has kind of put me into. I've been kind of like on this weird emotional spiral uh, recently. I don't want to necessarily uh, uh, sidetrack myself and get into it now, but anyway, check out that, uh, that special double-length episode there uh, uh, covering uh, Star Wars uh, The Last Jedi, which, again, we recorded at the KGRG studio. Um, and speaking of KGRG, our old uh, stomping grounds, a quick reminder, a winter quarter at Green River College starts on January 3rd. Uh, don't miss your opportunity to be a part of the KGRG family and follow in those footsteps of folks like myself and Killing Spree, who did uh, uh, Late Night Death for over 12 years, as well as Trevbot and Caroline and countless others, uh, check out greenriver.edu or kgrg.com forward slash classes for more information about how you can be on the radio. Yes, you, I know. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I I mentioned this a little bit. You, you may have heard at the top of the show that I kind of re... Uh, uh, I, I, I changed up the disclaimer a little bit um, uh, just to kind of uh, talk about my time at KGRG and, and on college radio. Um, now, I'm not on that station anymore, um, uh, but I will always be a champion for that program. Um you know, you've heard me talk about a lot of it in uh, previous episodes. Uh, don't necessarily need to get into it here, but I did just want to give you a reminder that uh, winter quarter is starting this week. So if uh, if you wanted to uh, take those classes like Journalism 110, uh, where you can be on live on the air on KGRG FM 89.9 uh, within two weeks, or you could take Journalism 120 and uh, learn uh, digital radio and podcasting uh, from from uh, uh, award-winning journalist Charlie Harger. Um, anyway, check those out. Um, it's, uh, it's a really fun program. So like I mentioned earlier, uh, Stan Lee, uh, co-creator of the Marvel Universe and most of your favorite superheroes, turned 95 years old last week. Now, most of us know him uh, for those cameos in the Marvel movies, and I thought to commemorate the occasion, I'd go over some of the most memorable of those scene-stealing appearances. Now... I didn't realize it until I started compiling my list, but um, but Stan Lee has appeared in over 30 different Marvel movies, including all 17 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies and pretty much every other Marvel-branded movie uh, since X-Men in 2000. Um, I also didn't know that his, uh, his first cameo appearance was actually in the 1989 TV movie, uh, The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. 
Hulk, where Stan Lee appeared as a jury member in the Hulk's trial. And um, so so before I get too far, um, let's get a spoiler alert warning from Killing Spree. Fucking spoilers! Because some of the stuff that I'm going to mention probably will uh, spoil some plots of those particular movies. So here we go. Uh, Here are my five favorite Stan Lee cameos. Uh, Number five uh, from uh, Fantastic Four in 2005. Uh, Stan Lee appears in uh, the first of the Fantastic Four movies as uh, uh, chipper mailman Willie Lumpkin, who delivers a letter to Dr. Richards. And... I think this is kind of what a Stan Lee cameo should be. He He's in and gone. Sometimes he has dialogue. Sometimes he doesn't. But... Um, I I like this one in particular because Willie Lumpkin's actually a character from the comics. So it's it's one of the the few occasions in all of Stan Lee's cameos where he's actually uh, portraying a character that he actually co-created. So um, so for for the geek in me, I always thought that that one was uh, um, was really kind of cool. Next up is uh, on number four. Captain America the Winter Soldier. In this one, um, uh, Stan Lee is a security guard at the Smithsonian, and he uh, he's afraid of being fired after he discovers that a Captain America suit has been stolen from the museum. Now, again, this is one of those ones where um, it kind of makes sense that Stan Lee being like a uh, you know high 80s low 90s year old man an old man you know being a incompetent security guard where Captain America can steal a a costume from the Smithsonian kind of makes sense and it's kind of funny and this one works especially well because uh, a Winter Soldier is a pretty grim, dark and serious movie. So to uh, use that Stan Lee cameo to kind of put a little bit of levity in there, I, I think that actually works uh, pretty, pretty well. Um, number three on my list is uh, Deadpool. Now, in Deadpool, um, uh, Stan Lee can be heard announcing acts at a strip club that uh, Wade Wilson frequents um, when uh, when he's not fighting crime. Um, and, and I forget what the line is, but it's it's um, uh, again, I think the funnest Stan Lee cameos are the ones that are actually fun um, because, yeah, there, there's I don't know. There, there's something kind of entertaining about uh, Stan Lee being a dirty old man, being a strip club DJ in a uh, in an R rated movie. Um, speaking of uh, number two on my list was uh, Ant-Man in this one. Th- this is this is kind of in the same type of thing uh, where um, uh, Stan serves as a bartender in uh in the ant-man movie and but his voice is dubbed over uh by michael pena as he tells a story that was that was one of the the cooler aspects of uh ant-man is where uh michael pena is telling a story and it always shows like all of these other characters that he's referring to they're speaking as if they're narrating but it's always michael pena's voice and it's hilarious and kind of like the payoff of that is when you when you get the stanley cameo and it does kind of like that same trick where it's uh, Michael Pena. I thought that was uh, I, I always thought that one was pretty funny and and again what what makes 
I think I've said this four other times already, but I what for me what makes a Stan Lee cameo works the best is where it doesn't um, outstay its welcome. Um, kind of subverts your expectations a little bit. Um, uh, like, for example, the Deadpool one, you know, you you don't necessarily expect a, a sweet old 90-year-old Stan to be, be in this uh, uh, Deadpool movie. Um, and, you know, and, and it does something to add a little bit to the plot. You know, it's a, it's a wink and a nod and, and it's fun. Uh, which uh, which brings me to my uh, my number one. Uh, this one's uh, fairly recent, but um, I hands down the best Stanley cameo has got to be uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Um, now this is the one where uh, Stanley appears. Um, he's an astronaut uh, stuck on a planet. He's wearing like an old timey spacesuit, and he's talking to uh, these aliens, uh, which you know you, you're freaking geeks out there will realize are uh, the watchers you know like they got the big baby heads and the and the glowing white eyes so that that's that scene is actually almost kind of like a twofer because first you establish that watchers are a thing in the marvel cinematic universe which is awesome enough as it is but Stan Lee is telling these watchers uh, these stories and they're becoming increasingly bored. Um, And at one point he even mentions that he used to be a a postman on Earth and was delivering mail, which, you know, which I think uh, and there's a little bit of debate on this. I feel that that is a, a direct reference and a callback to his cameo in the Fantastic Four movie. Now, one of the the fan theories out there, and this this has been you know years before this movie came out, is that uh, wouldn't it be cool? If Stanley, throughout all of his cameos, was playing the same character, you know, he was the same person, and the thing that was thrown out there is like, well, what if he's, what if he's the Watcher? Or at least one of the Watchers, or something like that. And, you know, fans have had fun with that, but this, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, they pretty much all but confirm that um, without being so explicit about it. And I think that, you know, the the line about being a postman, that... Um, I, I think that that really sells it that not only is he in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, but in all of the other Marvel movies that um, aren't connected, like like the Fox movies, um, that 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 all connects. And I just um, if, if that isn't geeky fan service, then I don't know what the hell is. Um, plus, it's just a funny scene because he's he's again, he's being Stan Lee where he's like, you know, kind of like this uh, uh, charming old man, but is still kind of <laughs> um, uh, the watchers kind of grow tired of him after after a while. And I uh, and I want to give a shout out to the Robin Slim show uh, for submitting that one as well um i had uh, put it out there on twitter and that was uh that's what they came up with uh, uh guardians 2 now as um as cool and as fun as those cameos are i think it's fair to say that most of them are actually kind of lame and in recent years uh, specifically the last few years with the exception of uh, uh guardians 2 um I, I i think the cameos are getting worse and increasingly cringeworthy. Um, 
In fact, I think personally it would have been cool if Guardians Volume 2 uh, would have just been his last cameo. Um, cause like, like I mentioned, uh, a second ago, the, it validates the watcher theory for the fans and it would be a high point. I mean, the guy's 95 years old. I mean, how much longer can he be popping up in, in these movies and what's, what's going to happen? Um, I mean, we've established that um, that the Walt Disney Company practices necromancy. I mean, they've uh, they've uh, they have the ability to raise the dead. I mean, just look at uh, um, just look at Rogue One. I mean, you've got you know Peter Cushing, who's been dead for decades, running around in that movie. So, I I really hope we don't get computer generated Stan Lee cameos, but. I wouldn't put it past him. Um, anyhow, um, uh, here are my least favorite uh, Stan Lee cameos. Uh, we're going to start at number five with uh, Captain America Civil War. Um, Stan Lee makes a quick trip to Tony Stark's home as a FedEx delivery man, uh, comically unaware of whom he was delivering a package to. Um, uh, Stan Lee misreads uh, the name on the shipping label and refers to it as Tony. Tony Stank. And that's I I kind of measure these bad Stan Lee cameos by if I if when it happens I feel the compulsion to just say god damn it um or something worse then then you know it's a, it's it's a groan and a cringe and um Another thing about this this cameo in Civil War that it's becoming increasingly implausible these situations that they put Stanley into. Like I, I don't believe for a goddamn second that that um, FedEx would employ a ninety five year old man and send him out on a truck and doing routes and all that other stuff. That that just doesn't logistically or logically make sense. Whereas, um, whereas like in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, where he is a security guard in the Smithsonian, I can kind of buy off on that because I get the feeling that you know he's probably the equivalent of like a Walmart greeter um, in that particular role, but he's not actually like working like uh again like a like a FedEx delivery man would be and incidentally i've i've um you know, I I was talking about the uh, Guardians cameo a minute ago where he uh, refers to being a postman. You know, I don't remember the exact line. Um, I, I On the Internet, I see it referred to a couple different ways. Uh, but one of them, uh, one of the quotes I saw was that he refers to being a FedEx delivery man. And I, I don't remember. I don't remember that. But um, that would obviously be a reference to this cameo and not the Fantastic Four one that I was uh, referring to earlier. Uh, but either way, uh, Tony Stank, it's, it's a stupid joke um, on on top of just being implausible. Uh, let's move on. Uh, next on my list at number four is uh, The Incredible Hulk. This is the one where Stan Lee appears as a guy who takes a sip of the uh, uh, Mountain Dew-like green soda uh, that's been uh, contaminated by by Hulk blood. Um, remember, like, there was, like, this huge elaborate factory and like there's a drip of blood in there and it's a it's a dropped 
plot thread. But yeah, Stanley like drinks it. He's like, oh, oh my. And it's just it, it's it's stupid. Uh, next on my list uh, is his cameo in The Avengers, uh, the first one. Uh, this is the one where Stan Lee shows up on a TV in a montage at the end of the movie and uh, talks about, you know, how how unlikely it would be that there would be superheroes in New York. Um, incidentally, there there actually is a uh, deleted uh, Stan Lee cameo scene. Um, it's on, it's on the Blu-ray. Um, and I like it a lot better. It's, it's, um, so if you're not familiar with, uh, a lot of the deleted material, uh, from the Avengers, there's, there's like this waitress character that like, you know, in the theatrical cut of the movie, um, you see her for like two to three, uh, scenes and, the camera lingers on this character like it's supposed to mean something and it always confused me up until I bought the Blu-ray and realized that this poor actress is in like no less than like 40 minutes worth of deleted material and XI scenes from uh, from the Avengers but but I digress where I'm going with that is that the better Stan Lee cameo is where uh, uh, Steve Rogers Captain America is at this cafe with this waitress lady Lady. And um, he uh, he calls Captain America a moron for uh, not asking for uh, the waitress's number because she's obviously flirting with him. He picks up on it and says, get her number. You know, don't be a moron. And, you know, I I almost uh, would have uh, included that in my favorites list. Uh, but since it's not in the theatrical version of the movie um, and it hasn't been like re-edited in or anything like that, I couldn't necessarily include it there but uh but that scene is pretty fun but on the other hand uh superheroes in new york is a cringeworthy line and it's and it illustrates what's what's wrong with these stanley cameos if if you give him too much to say and too much to do that's where you're gonna run into problems. Like in um, uh, my next one, uh, number two on my list, uh, this is from Spider-Man Three. Now, uh, um, Stanley had shown up in a in the previous two Sam Raimi movies, and instead of dodging debris like he did in in those movies, uh, instead Stanley delivers a profound piece of advice to uh, Peter Parker in the middle of Times Square, telling him, "Well, I guess one." One person can make a difference and that it's again that is the epitome of cringe worthy line delivery and it's just it, it just it just makes your eyes roll in the back of your head and you know you're probably thinking it's like well mike if that's if that's as cringe worthy as as it gets what could possibly be worse? I'll tell you what's worse. Um, at the top of my list, and it's it's his most recent one, it's Stan Lee's cameo in Thor Ragnarok. Um, he uh, um, he's on the gladiator planet with Thor, and he's he's basically the person that cuts Thor's hair, and he's is so weird because like I. 
I've only seen Thor Ragnarok once, and it was back in November when it first came out. So I haven't gone back and and reanalyzed this, but I can't tell if it's like if there's some like computer generated trickery or whatever. But but Stan Lee shows up as basically almost like like a mad barber or something, and he's holding up all of these different implements um, with like spinning blades and sharp blades and all this other stuff to uh, essentially give Thor the the uh, haircut that we see him in and it's just it's it's obnoxious uh fortunately he doesn't necessarily have any uh extra dialogue in there but it it was one of those ones where and I've talked I've talked about this a lot I I generally don't talk during movies it's rude but sometimes like a reaction will will um uh, squeak out of me before I have a chance to catch it and this was one of them it's like you know Stanley comes around and I just I kind of like you know scooted up in my chair a little bit and I just like god damn it um just right there out loud uh and uh I, I felt kind of bad about it but um not really because that was uh um again it, it, it was just obnoxious and terrible and everything that's wrong with uh with Stanley cameos and at this point again like I said before I I think they should just stop uh, you know, maybe like after Avengers Affinity War, when, you know, kind of things get like reset and restarted or whatever. Yeah, maybe we we start living in a Marvel universe where we don't have Stanley cameos and we just, you know, kind of let them be of their time. Um, because it's interesting because like there's there were a bunch of movies that didn't have the obligatory Stanley cameo and now it's a thing that you know it, sometimes it's clever sometimes it's fun um but most often it just feels like it's like shoehorned in like uh like uh the one in Doctor Strange where he's just sitting on a bus or like uh, one of his first ones where he's in uh, X-Men and he's just hanging out on the beach as like a hot dog vendor. In fact, I, I don't even think that's actually Stanley. I think that's like a wax statue. Go back and watch that. Dude doesn't move. It's it's kind of creepy. Uh, but anyway, did, uh, did I miss your favorite? Uh, let me know your list of the best or worst Stanley cameos. Email me, MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. And in keeping with the topic of movies, I wanted to run through uh, my favorite movies of 2017. Okay, so this isn't a best of list. So, like, there's there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote, better movies. And quite frankly, a lot of movies I haven't uh, seen. So it's like I can't I can't put uh, Get Out or The Shape of Water or um, or The Post or anything like that. I can't believe they made a movie out of those emo nerds, by the way. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so. Anyway, this isn't a movie show. I'm not a movie critic, and uh, uh, but I am a huge nerd, and I do love going to the movies. Uh, we talked about this um, a little bit on last week's show with uh, with Killing Spree, and my list really hasn't changed, but I want to kind of recap it for you here. Um, so here we go. So uh, number five on my list is John Wick Chapter 2. Um, probably the best... 
uh, R-rated action movie I've seen uh, certainly this year, um, but um, you know, just in terms of like the choreography uh, and the practical stunts, not a whole lot of computer-generated trickery. It's not a superhero movie where everybody's a a freaking computer-generated cartoon. I I love that everything is so real, um, and and I I also love that that. It plays to Keanu Reeves's strengths. So it's like it doesn't the movie doesn't ask a lot of Keanu as an actor. And it's really written for him so that, you know, his his kind of monotone line delivery actually really plays. I um I I enjoy Keanu Reeves in these John Wick movies as much as I did him in the Matrix. I I think it's I think it's a really cool role for him and um and in this in chapter 2 you just see so much more of the world with kind of like this uh you know secret assassin society and um I don't think they're pirate assassins though. Um but yeah I mean yeah I mean like they have their own currency, they have their own hotels, you know, uh codes of honor and all that stuff. I mean it's it's a really really cool movie. Um, but, uh, in keeping with R-rated action, my other favorite R-rated action movie of the year was, uh, Baby Driver. Um, and this, uh, this kind of edges it out because not only does it have that R-rated action, I mean, I mean, again, uh, mild spoilers. Fucking spoilers! Uh, John Hamm is in this movie, and at the end of it, he basically becomes Jason Voorhees. He's, uh, he's unkillable, unstoppable, and is, uh, is really, really great everybody is great in this um it is mildly uncomfortable now um because uh kevin spacey's in it um and yeah so so i don't know if we can uh you know maybe get george lucas on the case you know he can team up with ridley scott and maybe you can change out uh kevin spacey for uh christopher Plummer, like they have in that uh, uh all the money in the world movie um they they seem to do that on the quick you know maybe you could do that because you know what christopher Plummer makes everything better uh but anyway with a, a baby driver not only is it a great movie but it's also um the best soundtrack movie since Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, this is Edgar Wright at the height of his powers, and it really does kind of make me bummed out that we'll never see Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. We got it close. Like, you know, I was talking about uh, the the Michael Pena sing- sequences earlier where he's doing, like, the um, uh, uh, voiceover um, uh, for telling the stories, and that that's very much an Edgar Wright thing. But uh, this movie just moves. It's uh, it's it's really a lot of fun. Uh, my number three, War for the Planet of the Apes. I didn't rank this nearly as highly as my good buddy Killing Spree. I know this is his favorite movie um, of uh, 2017. Um, I really, really liked it. It's a very satisfying end to this current cycle of apes movies. You know, it's a... it's an Exodus movie, and you know, and and the hero has a uh, um, satisfying uh, conclusion to his arc. Um, highly recommended. Really liked it. But I got a couple other movies that I think just stuck to my ribs just a little bit more. Um, and this is the part where you know um, we might have to pause a second 
and we're going to wait for Killing Spree to flip a table. My number two, Blade Runner 2049. Yep. Yeah, I, oh, I hear it. Oh, there was like some salt shakers on that table too. Um, oh, now he's just thrashing around and kicking the walls. That's unfortunate. Anyway, no, uh, Blade Runner 40, 2049 is like, I, I don't think that it's a better movie than War for the Planet of the Apes, but this is a movie that is still sticking with me. I can't wait to get this on Blu-ray so that I can watch it again. Even at, you know, uh, almost three hours, uh, I remember watching it in the theater and it just going by. And like I, um, you know, didn't go to the bathroom or anything like that. I was I was just so mesmerized. Um, it's it's. Um, it's completely immersive. It's visually interesting. Um, and yeah, it's long, but it's, uh, I don't know, just, just something about like the themes and ideas or something that I can't quite put my finger on it. It's something that's really sticking with me in a way that I think the original Blade Runner uh, stuck with um, uh, fans of that when, when it first came around. Um, it's got its problems, and I'm not going to fight anybody on it um uh but yeah no it's it's uh and the thing that really just that that the imagery that i just cannot shake is that um that sex scene yeah there's still like the most intensely erotic love scene i think i've seen in a movie in um in a long time and again not because of like graphic nudity in fact i don't even remember if if you see nudity in that but just it it's interesting and again mild spoilers where it's you have a a love scene a sex scene between two robots and an ai a, a uh, artificial intelligence and it totally plays. And I just remember just being slack jawed, mesmerized by just and just just transfixed by this. It was like like, again, like the most fascinating thing that I had uh, um, seen in in quite a while. Um, and again, it still it still sticks with me. So um, so for that, it's got to be uh, that high on my list. Now, um, number one on my list now. A lot of people have talked about this during their uh, podcasts, of course, um, but a lot of people also kind of forgot about it because it came out so early in the year. Um, and of course, number one on my list has to be Logan because it's um, it's a hauntingly beautiful movie um, and it it gives what um what fans haven't seen, what we haven't seen before in a superhero franchise film, and that's an ending. Um, you know, it's it's a bold choice, and it's a and it's a very satisfying ending, if uh, if I do uh, say so myself. And um, I movies kind of. I, I would say they move me. I feel stirred by them, but I don't like openly cry. You know, I talked about Kevin Smith earlier and, you know, he uh, he gets blazed and will just, you know, just uh, cry at the drop of a hat. I don't I don't move so easily. And I've mentioned on other uh, uh, previous episodes that I did not cry at the end of Logan, but I think I came as close 
that I ever have been in probably my adult life. I mean, I could feel my throat closing. I knew my eyes were kind of welling up a little bit. Um and again, it was it was um, oh, and I'm really kind of trying to shy away from spoilers here too terribly much. What? Fucking spoilers. Screw it. You, you already know how how Logan ends. But the 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 thing that gets me. Yeah. If there was a time that I would have let tears come out, it would have been where uh, Laura takes the cross and turns it on its side into an X. I didn't see it coming because, uh, again, I'm not an experienced movie critic. I'm not, a, you know, for as, as much of a seasoned moviegoer as I think I am, I miss a lot of stuff sometimes. And that was one of them. I was just like, and I think I gasped. I, 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 think, I think that one where, like, I just kind of opened my mouth. And I'm just like, they're doing the thing. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you, you have Oscar caliber performances and... There, there's something I think about someone's final performance as a character. Like, I mean, you see uh, Patrick Stewart being Professor X in a way we have never seen him before, um, and you see uh, Hugh Jackman just, just bringing Logan to a satisfying conclusion. And I, I know a lot of us wanted. Old Man Logan, you know, kind of like an adaptation of the comic books. But I would say that this is better because this is smaller. And I think that's what makes this movie so uh, uh, special for me is that it it is smaller scale. You know, we're, we're not having blue lasers pointed at the air uh, and swirling garbage or, you know, we're fighting, you know, uh, uh, purple computer generated monsters or something that looked at like they walked out of a, a God of War uh, video game or something. You don't have any of that. And it's uh, it's just great. Um, I I haven't watched the black and white version yet. I have it on my Blu-ray. It's called a uh, Logan Noir. Um, from what I understand, it's okay. It's basically just black and white, um, which yeah, you know. But you take something like Mad Max Fury Road, uh, the black and chrome edition. That they actually did a lot of like color changing to you know kind of enhance the the black and whites. I'm I, I'm getting way off track. Anyway, um, uh, I I would imagine that that's a uh, another interesting way to watch the movie, and it gives me a uh, another reason to watch it. Um, but yeah, no, um, I I don't know how I could have done a list and not have Logan at the top of it because um, it, it's. Again, it's just so unprecedented. You know, you get a somebody with a 17-year run on a character that defined the character and even had peaks and valleys because let's not forget that I, I would say at least half of uh, Hugh Jackman's appearances as Wolverine are in some pretty terrible movies. Oh, one of them he's the star of, you know, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. That that's not a good movie. Um but yeah, so to have that those peaks and valleys and to have I guess what I would call a complete performance 
is uh, is something that's that's pretty special. Um, so let's let's flip the script and go on the other side. I want to talk about some of the worst movies. And and again, these aren't these aren't objectively the worst. Like you won't see things like Leatherface or the Amityville Horror or you know other other uh, like Chips. I didn't. I uh, you know um, those are movies I never saw, so I couldn't say these these were my least favorite. Um, and, uh, so, so starting off my list at number five is the fate of the furious. And I've talked about a lot of these fast and furious movies. I actually like them quite a bit. I think the run from, uh, uh, when it, whenever the rock is introduced in uh, fast five. So I think five, six, and seven is actually a really fun trilogy of, uh, you know, really cool movies. The, these movies are dumb. Like on the, uh, you know, radio versus the Martians podcast, they talk about, you know, um, absurd macho bullshit and that, uh, cars are fucking magical. Um, and, and I, um, I like that about these movies is that there's, you know, kind of a um, they they've they know what they are there. There's a self-awareness to them that I've always appreciated and have fun with. Like in the seventh one, you have, uh, you know, Jason Statham and Vin Diesel uh, fighting each other with with uh, giant wrenches. You know, it's a giant wrench fight. And um, or you have uh, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson breaking out of his uh, arm cast uh, just through the sheer power of his masculinity. He just flexes and this this apparently his broken arm had healed um, and he just, uh, you know, um, uh, broke the cast. I mean, it's cool stuff like that. Plus all the all the goofy car stuff. Now, the thing with the this new one, uh, eight, uh, the fate of the furious. I didn't like it because it's um, it's as self-serious as a Star Wars prequel. And. That's when it starts losing me. It's like when you can have tongue in cheek and know what your movie is and have fun with it, you'll be okay. But when you start to like, you know, uh, say something, quote unquote, you know, with a capital S, um, it's. You know, it misses the point. Um, this this one does have some cool stunts, but it also has some absurd stunts. Like, I can forgive the never-ending runway in Fast and Furious Six because uh, because it's fun. I mean, it's like it's like oh, that runway is never going to end. And rather than being off-put by it, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. But when this um, when like a giant submarine breaks through the ice, it's just like I'm I'm checked out. It's just and, you know, um, Vin Diesel trying to make his character into an almost uh, messianic Christ like figure. It's just it's just so bad. I mean, he's not Superman. And it's um, yeah. So it really kind of lost me. And um, a thing also with uh, the fate of the furious is that it. um he kind of ushered in uh, kind of this phase that I've been in throughout pretty much this entire year um, of it, it's making me question what I like. And I walked out of Fate of the Furious. I'm like, I don't like this. I, um, you know, and, and, and I've had a couple opportunities. In fact, uh, uh, some I'm going to talk about here in a sec where I 
I've had the occasion to take a harder look at myself and reflect on what I like and why I like it. And, um, you know, it's like, maybe I just don't like stuff anymore. Um, you know, it's so, so that's something I'm going to have to examine, um, with myself in the coming year. But, um, but I want to move on because this kind of ties together. Uh, number four on my list of uh, least favorite movies, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Now, I talked about this a lot. I praised this movie when I was talking about the Stan Lee cameo, but I, I didn't. I, I felt the same way about this as I did Fate of the Furious. It's like, I should like this, but I don't. And for me, it was just like, it's it took everything that was great about the first movie, The Guardians of the Galaxy, and just cranked it up. You know, just like sequels are supposed to do, but it cranked it up so high that that it just became off-putting, and it became obvious. And I... um. I, I've learned anymore. I think a lot of movies I can gauge on whether I'm going to like them or not, kind of by the opening sequence or the cold open. And the the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, I I was already groaning before the title card even came up, and that's that's a bad sign. I had a, uh, you know, and and the thing that I liked about the first movie is that it uh, it dusted off nostalgic classic songs you know songs that you always knew but you kind of forgot about and and it just kind of blew the dust off of them this movie what it does is it takes all of the songs that you remember that you don't uh, that you didn't especially like that you've heard in grocery stores and instead of blowing the dust off of them and make you appreciate them it fetishizes them to the point where you start to dislike them I um I I was never a fan of Brandy, but after that song became like a huge plot point, I I can't stand that song. It's like I I hear it on the radio now because, you know, obviously if it's, you know, uh popular enough on the so- on the uh soundtrack, um I I I can't do it. And and a few other songs are like that as well. Um and if if your movie makes you dislike classic songs, there's something wrong with your movie. Uh, let's move on. Uh, number three on my list. Um, uh, this might be a little polarizing, controversial. Uh, Dunkirk. Okay. I think Christopher Nolan is a phenomenal filmmaker. Um, I love the Dark Knight trilogy. In fact, uh, the Dark Knight is my favorite favorite superhero movie i almost said favorite movie but that's not the case it's it's i mean it's no transformers the movie but it's uh it, i like it a lot um but dunkirk what that does is it so uh it, it's visually stunning i mean it looks cool and the things that happen look cool and i and i like kind of the storytelling technique that he does with kind of like uh, uh, playing with time a little bit and uh, and how each of the stories kind of happen at different paces and things like that. I thought that was cool, but the characters are so wafer thin that I don't care about anybody. And if you are doing a World War II movie 
um, I need to care about those characters. Um, otherwise, once they start getting crossed off, I just I just don't care. Um, and the thing that that I mean, my wife and I continue to joke about this. Um, so Dunkirk is actually surprisingly short. It's only 90 minutes it is a 90 minute movie. But every time we see like a commercial for it, because, you know, it's it's uh, coming out on home video. Um, yeah, it's like um, my my pull quote, our, our pull quote for Dunkirk. Dunkirk, the 90-minute movie that feels like three hours. I, I Again, you know, like I was talking about Blade Runner 2049, uh, Dunkirk feels longer than Blade Runner 2049. Um, I, I know this is at the top of a lot of people's lists, but I we, we couldn't stand it. Um, uh, speaking of uh, things not being able to stand, and I... Um, I kind of feel bad for, for uh, uh, you know, this whole list. I, I realize now that I've come this far that I that I've made a tactical error, um, but I'll bring it back around in a sec. Trust me. So my number two on my list is a movie called Going in Style. Uh, you may have heard me talk about this on the podcast over the last year or so, uh, but here's a, the synopsis for it: uh, Desperate to pay the bills and come through for their loved ones, three lifelong pals risk it all by embarking on a daring bid to knock off the very bank that absconded with their money. Uh, this is the one with Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, and Alan Arkin, uh, a.k.a. Uh, old people robbing banks. It's um, it's not good. But uh, my wife wanted to see it. She, uh, she thought the movie was funny and was cute. I did not. And I... Um, I've made kind of a stink about it. Like I've, like I said, I've talked about it on a couple few different shows, and this movie just kind of illustrates how much of a of a jerk I can kind of be sometimes. You know, it's um, it's something I need to work on. Um, but I, I I'm going to expand more on that in just a sec because I want to get my number one, and I want to talk about this also. Uh, it's a movie called Just Getting Started. And it, it, I mean, we just saw this a couple weeks ago, like just before Christmas. Um, here's a, here's the synopsis. It's a, a two-hander action comedy in the vein of Midnight Run about an ex-FBI agent played by Tommy Lee Jones and an ex-mob lawyer in the Witness Protection Program played by Morgan Freeman having to put aside their petty rivalry on the golf course to fend off a mob hit. And, you know, up until I just read that synopsis, I had no idea that that's what the movie was about because this is barely a movie. It's uh, it's incomprehensible and indecipherable and any other words that I can use uh, starting with in. And it's um, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is great in this. I mean, the man's a national treasure, but Morgan Freeman, man. I mean, so, yeah, so this is this is your your uh, Morgan Freeman double feature for uh, 2017. And uh, I don't think my wife liked this one nearly as much, but it was the same thing. She wanted to go see it. And, you know, all of the other movies that I've listed, you know, I mean, we, we go to movies together. Very rarely do I go to a movie by myself. And um, and it's because it's something where she has said, 
Um, yeah, no. You, you can go see uh, Sin City colon A Dame to Kill for by yourself. I, I can skip that, and I, I totally appreciate that. But but she, you know, sat through Blade Runner 2049 with me, and, you know, uh, John Wick, and Baby Driver, and Logan, and, and a lot of those she really liked. Uh, but the one, I did want to mention this, uh, the one movie that, that um, was her least favorite was uh, Ghost in the Shell. And this 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 was kind of funny. I don't want to tangent too much, but it's um it's a movie basically I saw, we saw uh for the podcast. You know, Killing Spree had seen it um and he and I wanted to talk about it because we had teased it so much, so had to go and um you know, thought it would be okay. I liked it fine, but yeah, my poor wife, she uh not so much. Not that I blame her. Um but like I was saying earlier, one of, one of the, the challenges I have is that um, I can be a prick about movies I don't like, whether other people like them or not. And I, I have to keep reminding myself that it's OK to like a movie. And, you know, um, I'm not a movie critic, but man, I could get really, really snobby sometimes. And I think I just need to knock that shit off. Like I um. I, I uh, heard on another podcast, uh, We Hate Movies, um, and uh, one of their hosts, uh, Stephen Sadak, uh, recently talked about, like, uh, around the holidays, he uh, he has this this quote, and it just, um, um, this this has kind of become, like, my, my lifestyle here. Um, it, very simply, you gotta play it normal for the normos. And he's kind of referring to not being a prick and a snob around the holidays. Like, you know, I mean, I remember at Christmas, like uh, there was a commercial for uh, father figures that came on and it's like, oh, that looks really funny. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, yep, sure does. Or like, oh, oh, you should get Netflix so you can watch Bright. It's really, really good. And uh, I hear that it's really, really not. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I again, I could, I could be a snob about it. And I've really and. You know what? Holy crap. I've realized now that I'm getting towards the end of the show that I have stumbled across a New Year's resolution, and it's to be less of a prick and a snob about movies. Um, so so there we go. But anyway, yeah, um, uh, you got to play it normal for the normos. And specifically, um, like, uh, like, OK, uh, an example, my uh, my wife wants to go see Downsizing. That's the that's the uh, Matt Damon is tiny movie. Um, I've heard it's terrible. Um, I think it looks pretty dumb, but she wants to see it. And I have to realize that not only do I got to go because, again, she goes to all of these for me. You know, the least I could do is just buck up, you know, smile, go, and the thing that I didn't, that the object lesson and why I'm talking about these stupid Morgan Freeman movies is that I also need to not be a dick about it, you know, and be like, because I remember like we were in the restaurant, it's like, so what'd you think? heavy sigh and i just proceeded to just start savaging this poor morgan freeman movie and um and it's just not worth it so i mean if i could share any uh you know again take take 
take Steve's advice. You got to play it normal for the normos. Uh, don't be such a snob. Don't be a prick. Don't be an ass. Be nice. Coming up next is possibly the strangest thing I've shared with you on this podcast. Now, as you know, I like to be a champion for independent music, you know, something I've been doing since my college radio days. And I've encouraged artists to share their stuff with us, usually on Twitter at Mike Cyber Radio. And that's where uh, Tacoma artist Buckwheat Caterpillar found me. Um, I watched and listened to the clip I'm about to play for you over and over because it's just so damn bizarre. Um, but it also got totally stuck in my head, too, and I can't deny that. And I guarantee that this is the strangest thing you've heard this year. Here's a taste of a tune called Kennedy's Head. Um, you, you can listen to the song in its entirety on the Buckwheat Caterpillar page, as well as on YouTube if you want to hear more. Um, let me know. MikeCyberRadio at gmail.com. And finally, I, uh, I wanted to reflect on what 2017 meant to me, um, you know, kind of through the prism of this uh, uh, 2017 best nine trend. Uh, this was uh, going around on Instagram a couple few uh, weeks ago, and you... Uh, um, you go to a website, you put in your Instagram handle, and it um, and it generates a collage of your uh, best nine posts, basically just just based on likes, your most liked posts. So I did that because I'm I'm a sucker for goofy stuff like that. But uh, looking at it, I I realized. It may be a fact that I hadn't because I've been kind of in a funk since watching that Star Wars movie um, that 2017 was actually a um, uh, quite a big milestone year for me. Like, you know, I was going through I did a lot of cool stuff uh, for uh, my college radio show, including like attending uh, Comic Cons with uh, the uh, costumers, the costume characters for causes, those uh, local cosplayers. Um I uh, got to be on stage and sing with a band. Um, you know, they were these young fools at the time, but now uh, Flicker and Fade, you know, they they in, uh, invited uh, me and Elijah up on, on stage to sing with them. I mean, that, that was rad. We uh, we had live sets with uh, with a couple few bands that, that was really cool and fun. Um, I got to celebrate 100 episodes of my show, um, had, a, had a lot of old friends and former co-hosts come back and and I got to do my last show 
um, on a, on KGRG. And that was, I mean, it's still a surreal experience because like it was a live set from Flicker and Fade. We were, we were debuting them, but it was also my last show. And yeah, it was, it was just a whole, uh, um, uh, emotional experience, but, uh, but, from that, I completed my second degree at Green River College, uh, you know, uh, wrapped up my broadcasting degree. And incidentally, I wonder if you take two uh, two year associates degrees and smash them together. Do you get uh, do you get one bachelor's degree out of it? Because <laughs> I was there long enough to complete a bachelor's program. Instead, I did uh, two uh, two associates programs. But um, but I mean that's pretty cool. I mean you know I'm a college graduate twice over um, in uh, in my late 30s. So that's um, and and also um, uh, had the occasion to be uh, recognized and rewarded uh, uh, for uh, uh, leadership. At, you know some of my stuff at the uh, radio station by the uh, college, including a controversial uh, Skills USA award. Um, you know between uh, uh, you know me and Taylor and Andrea, we'll uh, we'll always have nationals. Do you even go to nationals, bro? <laughs> Um, anyway, and and um, as really kind of like the crown jewel or crowning achievement of uh, my time at KGRG, um, uh, the show I founded, The Monday Project, uh, won Specialty Show of the Year. And... Um, and dovetailing that with, uh, you know, my um, uh, getting full time hours here at work, um, we uh, took a vacation to China, um, uh, you know, and I I celebrated my 15th wedding anniversary with my lovely wife. And um, so, yeah, I think I think 2017 will be one of those years that I will reflect on and remember as a milestone year. Um, I'm. Uh, I, I, I'm grateful for the opportunities that have been available for me. Um, I'm I'm thankful for my health, and I'm excited for what the coming year has in store for me. Uh, which uh, which reminds me, actually, uh, before I get out of here, I want to remind you that on Friday, January nineteenth, at Jazz Bones in Tacoma, just a couple weeks from now, um, I will be emceeing for uh, Limberloss during their set. And I'll be recording some live interviews for an upcoming episode of the podcast, including chatting with some of the bands and fans. Uh, so if you'd like to be a part of that show, uh, show up on the 19th. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you could get presale tickets now for six bucks. Uh, tickets are 10 bucks at the door now. So I'd uh, recommend you hit that presale before they sell out. And I hear a rumor that Limberlost will be releasing a new song soon. It's a tune called Long Shadows. And you know I'll have that for you. But in the meantime, uh, keep an eye out on the band's brand new website, LimberlostMusic.com. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty rad. Looks pretty cool. And that will about do it for this episode. I'd like to thank you for listening this week and every week you tune in and download the podcast. I appreciate it. If you'd like to check out all of my shows, including my uh, past shows, podcasts, including all of my old college radio shows, uh, you can listen and subscribe on SoundCloud, Google Play Music, the Stitcher Radio app, and on Apple Podcasts. Like, share, rate, and review the show wherever you find it. I would appreciate the feedback, and I will read your reviews on the air. 
You can find me online at Mike Seibert Radio on Twitter and Instagram. And if you're an independent artist and would like to share your stuff with us, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show, shoot me an email, MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com, or, uh, or just message me. Um, uh, my name is Mike, and this has been Mike Seibert Radio. And until next time, make good choices. Thank you.